Morning Liberty. Nate, you throw that little yeah in and then you leave it. I know. Because we don't edit this thing. This is coming at you live, the Good Morning Liberty podcast. The first thing you should be doing right now before this goes any further is hit that subscribe button. It should be located uh, right there on the page of your podcasting app. If you're listening on iTunes, as most people do with podcasts, it's a purple subscribe button. You just hit it, and our very next episode will come directly to your phone. Thank you, by the way, to all the subscribers out there. We look at the subscriber numbers. They're growing, and uh, it's just been fun to watch. So thank you guys for doing that. Share the show with a friend. We talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning. Yeah, I also want to say thank you to everyone who sits through that ad at the beginning of the podcast because, you know, it takes money to keep this thing going sometimes. So we put an ad at the beginning of the podcast for Anchor, and we'll be putting some other ads on the podcast as time goes on. And, you know, it just takes a little bit of money maybe to run some advertising or to pay for this computer or this microphone, things like that. So we do appreciate the sponsors and you guys for listening to that. So, um, we've got a couple things to talk about today. Just a couple. Just a couple. Now, one of the things is this this story. I don't know if you've seen it. I've seen it posted by uh, every major news network, but it has to do with a new study saying that in your lifetime, there will be 100,000 cases of cancer that are caused by water contamination, legal contaminants that are in water, they say will lead to around 100,000 cases of cancer in your lifetime. So we'll we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. We're also going to talk about some comments we have on our Facebook and a new section called comment section. We're going to, I don't know, maybe give our, give our opinion on what some of the people are saying. But we got to talk about this whole Greta Thunberg thing again. again. Greta, Greta Thunberg. Yeah. Now this is a ridiculous amount of podcast episodes dedicated to the opinions of a child. But uh, uh, we saw some more things today. You know, I actually didn't watch it, but did you watch her kind of emotional outburst in front of the UN? I did, actually. Yep. Well, what, I mean, I know you were telling me that you saw some stuff about what people were saying about that. So so I didn't even realize it had happened, but I had seen some comments on Facebook about People saying that it takes balls for a 16-year-old child to get up and and uh, say what she said in front of the adults in the room. And I think by balls, they mean courage. Um, I don't know why we're sexist and we attribute, attribute yeah. courage to males. It seems like a very outdated saying. Right. Really. Um, but it does. I mean, it takes courage to do a podcast and it takes courage to speak in front of a crowd and all that takes courage. Um, and so for a 16 year old to have that kind of courage, you know, my sister, uh, is in pageants and she sings in front of a crowd and, you know, talks yeah. and, and she's very articulate she does new stuff and she's 17 now, but she was doing that <laughs> when she was 16 too. So she had a lot of courage. One thing I don't under, well. understand is even on the libertarian side, we've seen some things about how it's, it's ridiculous for us to discount her just because she's a child that children shouldn't be able to have input or opinions yeah, on so this. that's what they were saying they're like i may not agree with the message but she this takes courage and uh children should be allowed to have um input or say and uh basically essentially what happened is there was a un panel this climate uh event that took place in new york 
where, of course, she was invited because she's become pretty famous now. Um, there's a, a book about her, and her speech was centrally regarded around uh, the fact that, according to the IPCC, we have 1.5 uh, degrees Celsius that we can warm up, and after that, we do uh, irreversible damage to the earth that will basically destroy her future and the future of everyone in her generation. And so the adults need to do something uh, before that catastrophe strikes. And she said, how dare you? I can't, I can't tell you how many times she said, how dare you? How dare you? How dare you? So she said that, and, and she said it in an almost crying voice, but I honestly, it was hard to believe what she was saying because it just seemed like to act. It seemed like she was acting. Yeah, it really did. Like the, there were no real tears. The ten seconds of it that I saw looked like she had planned to go into this emotional outburst in in the beginning. The that that was kind yeah. of always the plan. So the problem I see with this is that, um, well, there's a few. There's a few problems. You brought up a good one. We'll start there. I think. Yeah. So well, wh- how one high thing, how high should we hold? The opinions of kids, 16-year-olds. Where does that rank in policy decision-making? Yeah, as far as massive economic policy affecting billions of people, uh, my assumption would be that you you would not regard the opinion of a 16-year-old political activist very highly. Um, Might I say kind of privileged? Yeah, I did. 16 year old. I did some reading on her and uh, definitely she grew up, uh, I believe her, it was her dad or someone else connected to her was an actor. And then um, so basically she's been doing okay. Um, The other side of that is that she has no idea what the real world is, what responsibility is, what suffering the consequences of your actions means she is a child she does not know how to rationalize when they are different variables to a certain equation like this where sure we should do something to move towards cleaner energy and we are by the way uh, we should continue to move towards cleaner energy and that has to be balanced with the fact that we also have to think about economics and children are in my opinion, notoriously not good at economics. Most adults yeah. aren't good at economics. Yeah, yeah. I mean... It's, I, I, our level of expertise on economics, I would say, is like minuscule. Yeah, if you were... It's but ba- we're above average. It's basically like if you were to go to a child and ask them everything that they wanted for Christmas. Well, like, they'll tell you all kinds of things that they want with no regards to economics whatsoever whether that is whether or not it's possible yeah the cost associated yeah, doesn't they, matter they don't care about that side of it they don't understand economics they've never had a checking account they've never had to pay a bill uh they've never had to earn money ever so maybe this girl does chores or and something and maybe she, she does gets an allowance yeah i don't know she um, has to buy her own uh, clothes or something she's from sweden as progressive as that country is i would assume they have very strict child labor laws so i'm sure she hasn't done any kind of work right. for hire or anything like that, although she will be making a ton of money for a long time off of this. So yes. um, in that regard, I do not really care about the opinion of a child because they're only looking at one side of the equation. Uh, I want it's well, honestly, it's about the same as listening to 
AOC talk about this, honestly. Um, I want this, this, and this, and we have to move to this and this and, and complete disregard for any type of economic policy whatsoever. Yeah, so, I mean, who cares if people starve to death? I think we've said this before. Yeah. Like, oh, as long as we solve climate change, it doesn't matter if people starve to death. Yeah. Like, yeah. What, what kind of logic is that? I mean, he was going to be there to enjoy the new world. And that's the <laughs> thing. Like, people don't understand that anymore. It's not really talked about... Uh, anywhere uh, other than some of the libertarian podcasts, but um, bad economics kills people. It has killed a lot of people throughout history. Bad economics, not just climate change or war or, you know, any kind of, I don't know, racism or anything like that. Yeah, those things have killed people, but bad economic policies have killed far more people. We know of at least 60 million is... Yeah. is- a good estimate. It's probably upwards over a hundred million. You could look at the control that was that it's placed over the people in China and the fact that there's been millions of people starving to death in China throughout our entire lifetimes and our parents' lifetimes. Uh, same goes for India. Uh, you can look back in history at what happened in the Weimar Republic and in Russia, all these places. When you can they, see what's happening right now in Venezuela. Yeah, same thing in Venezuela. You can see people chasing down garbage trucks and trying to get garbage out so they can eat it. Uh, that's bad economic policy. That's what that is. So that is also deserving of some attention when talking about climate change. And that is a rationalization and a logical analysis that a child cannot make at, at all. They're only looking at the side that they want that makes them feel good. That's it. So that's why I do not like, you know, I'm glad that she cares about this and kids should care about this kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. But they don't need to be driving policy um, at all. They, they do not. So the other side of this, the well, there's one really evil manipulative side of this that goes along with the fact that they're using children to, uh, to talk about all of these different ideas. And we can see it now. I mean... Um, you can't critique a child. You can't say that they're bad at speaking. You can't say that their ideas are stupid. If they get emotional, you can't, uh, say anything about that. Um, I will say the people that are attacking like her looks and stuff, that's, that shouldn't be part of the conversation. That, that should never be part of the conversation, honestly. But when you're, when you agree to use a platform to advance your ideology, doesn't matter what your age is, then that platform itself lends itself to criticism, and you have to be willing to take both. <clears throat> yeah, the I mean... The glory and the criticism. Even in doing this, I mean, in I, I have been made fun of and talked down to more in the last year doing Good Morning Liberty than I ever have in my entire life. Well, That's, you have a lisp. Yeah, I know, I know, and you I'm know. trying to work on it. I, <laughs> I think about it every word I say. Um, I, I try to stay away from S's, okay? They're everywhere, right. believe me. Um, so I, you lend yourself to all kinds of criticism all the time. Even my wife was telling me about some of these Instagram bloggers that she follows, these these famous Instagram people, and how they're starting to complain about people making fun of their videos or talking bad about their design style and all kinds of stuff like that. I mean, it's just something you open yourself up to. You're going to, when you're talking to a large amount of people, a certain percentage of them are going to be critiquing you. And unfortunately, when it's a child, then 
some of the rationality of being able to critique someone goes out the window because this is a child. Of, of course, I mean, this is a kid. How can you say that she, uh, you know, isn't speaking properly or that what she just said didn't make any sense or, or uh, you know, there's no sign. So obviously she's just a 16-year-old kid. Like, and when you put your message behind that person, when you make the messenger a child, then you make it harder to fight that message because you can't fight a child. So it's a, it's a pretty manipul- manipulative and evil, if I might say, uh, idea to make children the messenger of these ideas because you're putting them out in front and you're saying that people, I mean, you can't fight or argue with a child. You're not going to get into a rational argument with a kid. And so now these people, just say the left, are openly putting children up to make their arguments for them because you can't argue with a kid. And that's that's dangerous. And that brings us to the next point. I, uh, I did an article, um, put it on our Facebook maybe, that might have been an hour ago or something like that. I think it's going okay so far. Um, I did an article talking about how, in my estimation, um, Greta Thunberg is a victim. She's a she's a victim of mental abuse, and well, yeah, obviously, <clears throat> no doubt. Yeah, it's um, and by that I don't mean that she's a victim of mental abuse that's being perpetrated by people who are making fun of her right now, or you know, people on the right who are critiquing her message. I'm not saying that she's a victim of mental abuse uh, by any of those means. What I am saying is that she's a victim of mental abuse uh, from her parents and from this whole leftist hysterical ideology itself. Because she's now grown up. She's 16, I think we said. She's now grown up with this vision of the world that says that it's about to end, that her world is going to be destroyed and that she's not going to have any kind of life. Um, unless, of course, she can get Congress to make some kind of action to save the world. But she's been raised, being told every single day, seeing on the media, hearing in school, and hearing from her parents, that there's a impending climate catastrophe that is going to destroy her life, and that she's only got a few good years left, and then the rest of it's going to be all just distraught, famine and just terrible, terrible situations for the rest of her life and all the people that she knows. So she's been raised hearing about this. It made me think about, it made me think about, you know, in the seventies, we talked about how um, Time Magazine put out this, Time Magazine put out this article and they did a cover um, basically pointing to our new ice age, the the coming ice age, uh, saying in 73 that we were heading towards an ice age because the planet was cooling down too fast, that uh, in 10 years we were going to be seeing famines and starvation because the growing seasons were going to keep getting shorter. So we we would be able to produce less and less food all the time. And in 73, they were basically setting this path forward that um, in 10 years we were going to start seeing people starve to death we were going to start seeing famines all over the world that um we needed to do something right now that we were about to head into an ice age and they were even proposing that we do everything we could to melt the polar ice caps and and this was the scientific consensus in 1973 and in this article i posted there 
their uh, magazine covers and everything like that. Do they have a 90%, <clears throat> consensus I rate? I don't know what the percentage consensus was, but... Did they, so, well, did they find enough scientists who believed in this and then they... They found 3% that didn't. Yeah, I guess they so. Ran, they ran that list I guess through so. the numbers. Um, it made me think about, uh, you know, this girl, she's 16. So I was thinking about, okay, in 1973, when this whole panic happened, uh, when when the public was told by scientists that we were heading towards an ice age and that we probably wouldn't be able to stop it, it made me think about my mom, who was 10 years old at that time. And I just kind of thought about, you know, if we had the social media and the 24-hour news cycle, um, it made me think about how she would have grown up, similar to Greta now, but how she, how people would have grown up in the 70s, basically. You can use your parents or yourself or whoever, whoever it is that you can think of. Growing up, uh, being a, a young teenager or a child in the 70s, and being told on a constant basis that we were 10 or so years away from the start of a famine and the mass starvation of billions of people. Um, people at that point in time in 71 were saying that the entire United Kingdom was going to be a, uh, islands of 70 million starving people. Um, we, we were hearing all, all these sorts of things in the 70s. So at that point in time, if those kids would have grown up being constantly told all the time that this, this was their future, that their future was death and starvation and despair how would they have grown up with their vision for the world if if everyone would have decided that this was a scientific fact uh and that there was nothing we could do about it well i think they would have been just fine you know i'm sure they would have been great yeah everything would have been good (laughs) all right guys thanks thanks a lot for listening um no i mean they would have been they would have been like greta is what i'm saying and thankfully um, that's not how our parents grew up. They grew up with the vision of a future, with the idea that maybe they weren't going to start starving to death in 10 years. They had some fears, though. Yeah, yeah, they had fears. Because the Cold War was going on, yeah. plus this. I mean, I think there were people <clears throat> that probably still grew up with anxiety. I'm sure they did. Uh, I'm sure they did. Uh, and I'm just trying to imagine, you know, we've got this climate catastrophe, this climate crisis panic that's happening right now it may not have been as exuberated as it is now yeah um it's just not in your face 24 7 i don't think like it is now um we've got this whole climate crisis that is literally telling these young people that they're not going to have a life that the things that they have to look forward to um is basically panic and mass starvation and terrible situations for all the people that they love and and billions of people around the world and that's how they're growing up looking at this um to me i don't did they ever give any kids platforms back in the 70s i don't know about this i couldn't tell you i I really don't know i'll have to ask my mom who her favorite teen activist was at that point in time (laughs) yeah um so i look at this honestly as a form of mental abuse I put this in the article today. I was talking about Charlie. I was talking about Charlie and your son, Parker. Who's Charlie? You're Charlie. Oh, they must have not yeah. updated the uh, the memo. Yeah. The name's Kunu. Kunu. Yeah. Means Chuck. It means Chuck. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, Chuck over here um, <laughs> has his his son, Parker. And I was trying to imagine like if Charlie... Every single day, let's uh, let's let's try and imagine what people would think 
if, if what if Charlie raised Parker in a constant fear that our national debt, our massive national debt and our national deficit were going to soon destroy life as we all know it, unless politicians find a way to balance the budget. And I'm not just saying that like it's going to be bad and instilling the principles of fiscal responsibility. I'm saying he was telling him that his life was going to be terrible, that the as he knew it right now, that none of this was going to be the case. It was all going to be just distraught, despair, uh, awfulness by the time he was in college. So he's telling them that every single day. You know? Maybe we should actually do that. Maybe we should. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe so, if we bring the national debt to the level of the cr- climate crisis, yeah. people will start to pay attention. Because it is a serious matter. The debt is serious. It's very serious. Yeah. But I'm trying to put myself, um, I'm trying to imagine if Parker grew up like this and was up in front of the, U- the UN or the U.S. Congress um, crying because his life was going to be over in 10 to 12 years and blaming the people in power for this because of our national debt, then people will probably be calling for you to be put in prison for child abuse more, more than mm-hmm. likely. You know, just imagine if you were showing him you, every day. Well, if I told life, him, yeah, if I told him, hey, because of the national debt and the, the politicians that put this in place, that you're not going to live to see 30. Yeah. Like, you're just going to be dead. Yeah. Or, or everyone you know will be. Yeah. Or, or you're like, going to starve to death. Yeah. Everything's going to be terrible. And to and also to illustrate that, you were showing him photos of the death and destruction that have been caused by socialism and communism and fascism in the past. And showing him pictures of people who were starving in China and just putting those up around the house for him to see at all times. And that was in his newsfeed all the time was the, the death and mass starvation that had been caused by socialism. Um, in, so he lived in it. So he would grow up in a constant state of anxiety and yeah. depression and, and nihilism. Then, and so my assumption is that people on the more liberal side would think that that was insane and ridiculous and harmful to, to Parker's well-being to be telling him that our U.S. government was potentially sending us all off of a cliff. Um, that you would be a bad parent for doing that. You know, what if every day that you dropped Parker off at school, um, you hugged him goodbye because you had been telling him every single day of his life that there that um, he was going to die in a school shooting, that he was going to die in some kind of mass shooting. And any day you picked him up from school, you let him know that he was just one day closer to when that was going to happen. Um, he would probably be really, really anxious and upset all the time. And if that wasn't the case, what if you were just reminding him that he was going to get cancer or malaria or some kind of childhood disease or that he was going to be in some kind of an accident um, and that that was going to happen before he finished college? And you just let him, you reminded him of that every day, every hour of every day. Cause schizophrenia. <laughs> yeah. So when Parker got to high school, he's probably very anxious and depressed, uh, having panic attacks. He's nihilistic. He's hateful, uh, resentful, all of these terrible, terrible things. And what if um, he got up in front of people and he made a speech about how these people had the government, the U.S. government and their fiscal policy or whatever it is, had caused him to lose his ability to have a good life, that he couldn't enjoy being a child. Um, that he could never feel any kind of positivity or joy because he knew in his heart that everyone he knew and loved were going to die in just a few short years because of our impending fiscal doom. And I put a timeline on it even, like 12 years. So if he were up in front of Congress or up in front of any kind of a body and 
had the emotional outburst about our fiscal policy and what that fiscal policy has done in the past to other people, um, if he had an emotional outburst about this, what do you think the response would be from Democrats or liberals or people on the left? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Uh, I, I think, think mental abuse would be, uh, that's, I would, I would probably go to jail yeah. for child abuse. Yeah. So that's what I don't like about this is, um, one thing she said was that she was a child and that she shouldn't have to be dealing with this, that she should be at school worried about homework and things like that. And that's true. And that's her parents' fault. That's, it's not her fault. She's a kid. Nothing, none of this is her fault because well, she's a and, kid. And my job as a parent is no matter what life faces, no matter what you face in life, like you go out there and do the best that you can every single day. Like that's the, that's what you do with kids. That's what you, you encourage them. Yeah. You don't, you don't uh, portray a life of despair and say that if this doesn't get fixed, there's no hope. It, it doesn't matter what the market is. It doesn't matter what the, the weather is. It doesn't matter anything. You have one life and your job is to go out there and do the best you can every single day. And part of this is, is made more difficult by the fact that there are so many scientists who back this ideology up. Um, and that if we had this conversation with someone on the left right now, they would say, okay, yeah, well that's because your fear that you are instilling is ridiculous. Mine's backed up by science and it's real, you know? So that would be the response. And my question then would be, would you recommend that my mom's parents have put the same fear in her about the fact that she was going to die in an ice age by the late 1980s? Mm-hmm. You know, would that have been the rational thing to do to a child at that point in time? No. Because the science, that's what the science That's what the science said. In the 70s. At that point in time. The problem with science, like, I love science. It's awesome. I Scientists know more than we can even understand can be known. I mean, uh, honestly, as far as physical world and the universe, all these things, um, there's a lot of things that we just don't even understand that they know it or how they know it. There, I love science. I'm not saying that science doesn't exist or they're always wrong or none of this is real, nothing like that. But what I am saying is science is never settled. Like today's science, this is what the scientific consensus might be right now. But in the 70s, the scientific consensus was that there was going to be an ice age. And in the 90s, the scientific consensus was going to be that we were going to die in floods because everything was going to melt by the year of 2010 or something like that. Like, the scientific consensus changes as our technology and as our ability to be be scientific changes. You know, at one point in time in the 1800s, it was argued that a human being couldn't ride on a train because a human being, if it went faster than 40 miles an hour, would explode. So, the... Yeah, they they were idiots at that point in time. They did not know that. They were ignorant at that point in time is the better way to put that. Um, well, and here's actually what happens in science. Most everything that's scientific is actually a theory. Yeah. That's all it is. There's a, There are very few actual scientific laws. Like there's a law of gravity, right? Because it's been tested so many times that... They decided, oh, well, this has been tested enough. It's it's a law now. Yeah, there's there's a law of gravity, and you can test it out for yourself if you don't believe anybody. 
Um, but, but the thing about climate science is right now, everything's a theory. There's lots of things of there are still theories. There's a theory of relativity and there's a theory. <clears throat> I mean, there are things in physics that we just don't even understand yet. Yeah. There are particles that are smaller than we've than that are smaller than atoms, smaller than whatever protons and neutrons and electrons that make up atoms. There's nano protons. There are particles so small that we, and the other thing is we don't, the universe is so massive. We don't even know how big it is. Yeah. It's like he, it keeps expanding. Well, and, and we're traveling through the atmosphere or atmosphere. We're traveling through space at like 400,000 miles an hour. Speaking of like particle physics and things like that. I mean, if, so right now, like they can look out in space and they can find these areas where they just say like, there's, there's nothing, there's literally nothing there, not even light. We can't figure out what it is. Um, there's just nothingness. And what I would say to that is, or you just haven't developed the technology to measure what it is. Right. Like, and so that's where I differ on it. This is where they say there's this area where there is just literally nothing at all. Well, someone in a hundred years might have developed, maybe there's some kind of particle that you don't even know exists yet that you haven't measured, uh, that you don't have any tools to measure whatsoever. And maybe in a hundred years, they'll be like, <laughs> people in 2019 thought that there was nothing there. Look at all that. Look at it. It's right there. Yeah. Can't you believe know? those idiots. Yeah. I mean, so what, I'm, what I'm saying is like, it's always changing all, uh, all the time. And in a hundred years, people are going to look back at us and laugh at the things that we thought we knew, you know? And so that's where I... I understand the argument about climate change and the climate crisis, and I think that some of it has merit, but I remain skeptical all the time when people say that it's settled or that it's fact or that they know for sure that this is going to happen. Because all that has to happen is we discover some new thing that we didn't know existed tomorrow, and they're like, oh, well, crap, this wasn't a problem at all. Right, you know? and and that's why we boil it down. You and I, I think, think the same here. And Elon Musk it really influenced me on this. Is there? It's as simple as maybe it's not a good idea to take carbon out of the ground and put it into the air. Maybe that's not a good idea because we don't know how to get it back in the ground. Yeah. So maybe that's not a good idea. So maybe we should try to come up with a solution to mitigate that risk that we're taking by moving carbon from the ground and putting it into the air by trying to transition to a cleaner energy source because we obviously know we need energy for life not only for life but for all the luxuries that we enjoy and no one wants to give up no one wants to give up listening to this podcast you know if (laughs) for sure and if it wasn't for all the carbon that we use to create all the things to that ultimately create things that we enjoy all the luxuries that we have like netflix and uber and Apple computers and cell phones that send signals to space and back and hell the satellites that are up there and the space rockets that get them there. You know, all of the things that we actually enjoy in this life. And it's what, I mean, there's been never been a better time to be alive. We enjoy a luxury of life that human history has never known ever. Um, and we've said this many times. I mean, Jesus in 1900, your life expectancy was 50. Yeah. And there wasn't much to look forward to. And peop- the poorest people among us today in, in the rich countries were richer than Rockefeller ever was. Because although he had maybe some more monetary value, let's say, per- pertaining to the population, the luxuries that we have today weren't afforded to him because they weren't invented yet, Yeah. by the way. And so the simplest thing is to say, hey, 
maybe it's not a good idea to take carbon out of the ground and put it in the air. So let's come up with a solution to not only fix that problem, but make sure that it's economically viable enough to where we don't destroy everything else in the process. And one thing I love Jordan Peterson talks about is that, you know, we teach kids that we can, they can just go out and change the world. And he talks about the social, the, the social construction that we've developed and we've talked about this many times as well, is not just something that our founders conjured up overnight. This, you know, the constitution and the founding of America and Western culture is something that took millions of years to develop. We got here through the millions of years of development of human beings and our ancestors to get to the point where we enjoy the freedoms that we do. And so to fix things in a societal structure is very complicated because we have very complicated societies. I mean, economics itself is so vastly complicated that people with PhDs that work in the Federal Reserve still don't even understand the implications that their policies in- institute on the economy because it's it's something it's one of the most unpredictable fields of study that there ever is. It's so complicated. It's as complicated as physics or anything else that you can think of. And to try to fix something without wrecking something else is is just foolish. Yeah. And so you have to, you try to just break it down simple for people is that again, maybe what we're doing is not a good idea with the carbon emissions, but how about we try to, to look at solutions that are economically viable and don't wreck everything else that we've built. I, I could get behind that. Yeah. I mean, doesn't that sound rational Yeah, and but reasonable? What people don't realize is that everything is just a trade off all the time. You know, we're not we're not pulling anything in from space. We're not making anything new, anything more than than what's here right now. What I mean by that is like it, our resources, like it's all here right now. And anything that we decide to do, it's not like we're just going to create something new and it's not going to affect something else. It, everything is a trade off all the time. So when we divert all of this attention and all this money, that's a theory, by the way. Every every action has a reaction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, there's always there is always some type of consequence from some kind of an action. And and that's the part when you're listening to a child tell you what to do on this, that you just cannot take seriously because you're talking about massive economic implications. Like Charlie said, people in the federal reserve are up there still messing things up and their PhDs in economics. Some of these people, you know, and they still mess things up yet we expect a 16 year old child to be able to direct economic policy. Like that's ridiculous. Yes. So I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like, I feel like Greta's gotten enough of our time, honestly. Yeah. I, hopefully she can go back and do her homework and play game. And I'll say, look, you know, I'm all about putting your ideas out into the world and if somebody gives you a platform, I'm all for it. You know, if Parker's 16 and has an opportunity like that, absolutely take it. But at the same time, you've got to be, you have to know criticism's coming. And I don't agree with people attacking the way she looks or how she speaks or anything like that. Um, but I do uh, stand behind the people criti- critiquing her um, her call and demand for immediate action. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because the last thing that we need is immediate action. Look, I work in IT, and I could tell you on a small scale, let's go micro. That's the macro scale is you know, changing something in the economy on a micro scale. Anybody that works in technology will understand 
you have a development environment where you it's a playground. You can make changes or whatever. You're not going to break anything, right? Uh, then you have a production environment. So uh, even Apple does this, right? They do software development and they send these update files to your phone and you got to download the new iOS version that sends all these updates to your phone. Well, the problem is, is that if you don't test and vet and try to think of every single scenario that could break what you've already put in to the production environment, your what's currently on your phone right now that makes it work, you get bugs, Man, there's all kinds of things that pop out. You're like, oh, God, I never thought about that. Yeah. Wow, I didn't realize I broke that. And you see it on people that have iPhones. You see it all the time. There were iMessaging errors. Uh, there were some iOS updates that had uh, uh, phone call errors, drop phone calls. They missed a whole security. They left like something wide open where they had to do an emergency iOS upgrade uh, because they left this wide open security breach uh, that made your iPhone vulnerable. Um, th- there's all kinds of things that happen. And so these complicated systems, right? You would say your phone's pretty complicated. Most of you don't even know how it works. Uh, it just does cool things, right? But if you look at the underpinnings behind all of that, it's a lot of complicated things that take people with computer science degrees or, you know, people that are dedicated, that grew up in their lives in, in the, the technology world to take all of these complicated pieces and make them work cohesively. And so now you have an iPhone that does really cool things. Well, every time you do an update though, you have to, test that stuff like crazy. And so making demands to shove in policy that we don't even understand what the effects of that policy is going to be, what that means economically for people. Is it going to cause people to starve? Whatever all those implications, shoving those types of things in is the complete wrong idea to do ever. Well, I mean, in your scenario, here's the problem, Charlie, you were talking about Apple, which is just an evil evil corporation i mean i was talking about software in general obviously they (laughs) put out things that have errors but the government would not put out something that's going to have oh yeah the government's never made any errors they would not they would not there's we never had slaves or put japanese (laughs) in internment camps no we've never had we've never had famines purely caused by we never had shortages purely caused by price controls no it's no way it doesn't happen We've never had a new study come out that says that over your lifetime, there's going to be 100,000 cancer cases due to contaminants that are legally found in your water. You know, that's never, wait. That are allowed by government? Yeah, the, yeah <laughs> legal contaminants in your water. So um, so here's this story. I saw a lot of people post it. So vetted story. I saw CBS post it. saw uh, the Times posted and Fox News posted it. All these people. So anyway, this story is saying that a new a new study is finding that over your lifetime there will be about a hundred thousand U.S. cancer cases uh, that are just caused by tap water, just contaminants in your tap water. Okay, so in this article. It says the Environmental Working Group study, which was published on Thursday, analyzed contamin- contaminant occurrence in the nation's drinking water from 2010 to 2017. Researchers determined that most of the cancer risk comes from arsenic, disinfectant byproducts, and radioactive contaminants. Uh, this is a quote from the lead study author. He says, we want people to realize that water that meets legal specifications may still cause health risks based on the latest science. Hmm. (laughs) That last line. Okay, well, I'll just say that again. His quote, this is the lead study author. We want people to realize that water that meets legal specifications may still cause health risks based on the latest science. Hmm. Okay. So you're telling me 
Nate, you're telling me that science is still figuring things out. It's it's almost like it changes. Weird. Because I think at one point in time the science was settled on this. Yeah. That our our drinking water was safe. How many of those came from Flint? <laughs> I don't know. At least uh, twenty to thirty of them, I guess. I'm not. I'm not sure. Because um, yeah. you know, Flint still dealing. Like I, I know. don't know how many of you guys out there know this. Flint, Michigan, still dealing with. And I saw a video the other day. Jesus Lord, their city council. There was this meeting, like people getting in fistfights and stuff. And, yeah. Uh, some people that work for the government in Flint aren't providing reports, and council members are like being threatened and it's a mess yeah because it's a mess get your brains because they dropped the case uh, against the people who were responsible for this right prosecute yeah the new uh i think district attorney or prosecutor whoever for for michigan um dropped the case that was uh pending criminal charges that were pending against people who uh this allowed this to happen let's say yeah and yeah it's been uh some years since this whole thing happened Jeez, i think I it was like 2014 like pretty almost sure 10 years or something um, like but they have not installed an entirely new water system throughout the entire city of flint like that that has not happened yet so um they are they are still dealing with this issue right now which according to this report it wouldn't matter if they did yeah, they would still uh have cancer cases <laughs> instead of lead poisoning you'd get cancer yep so yep um, choose your poison, I guess. Choose your poison. Pick your poison. Maybe this Coke isn't so bad after all. So <laughs> c- contrast this with, did you ever see that movie, Aaron Brockovich? Yes. That was a I good did. movie. Mm-hmm. Good, good Julie Roberts movie. I, I remember my mom watching it and I watched yeah. it with her that yeah. was back in the day. And I don't remember. I remember the premise of the movie. Yeah. Well, there was this, so there's this company, PG&E, uh, I think it's Pacific Gas and Electric is, is uh, what that stands for. Are they uh, still around? They are. Yeah. Um, they're, they did file for bankruptcy though. I'll tell you about that in a second. Um, so PG&E was basically pouring contaminants into the, into the water, this uh, hexavalent chromium, which was going into the water and causing all these people to get sick and die in this in this town of um, what was it Hinkley, California, I think is it was the name of it. So there was this big lawsuit, um, and then made famous by that movie Aaron Brockovich. Um, big lawsuit where basically a thousand people um, sued, and they got damages up to four hundred million dollars from PG and E. Um, so there's kind of what happens when a corporation poisons your water right there, when mm-hmm. they do something that leads to you getting sick. Um, the other part of that is like you were asking about PG and E, uh, they did have to file for bankruptcy because they were also blamed for the cause of the wildfire in California that, uh, kind of took up all those towns really quick. A couple of years ago. Uh, or it last was year? Like last year, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they ended up being implicated in that. There was some kind of a spark from one of their transmission lines or something like that that caused it. So they were liable for all the damages from the wildfires. Too. So so they paid out the $400 million settlement yes. from the contaminants. Yeah, yeah. But um, now they can't pay out the billions. <laughs> yeah, I guess they can't. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be able to handle that. Their their stock, uh, it com- you know completely tanked when that uh, wildfire happened. Went from like twenty six dollars to like fifty cents a share. Yeah. Um, and there was no reason to uh to buy it or anything because it's not going to pop back up. Um, but this this conversation, um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with the potential hundred thousand cases of cancer. Um, over your lifetime, I don't know if there's going to be any legal redress. Um, I, I want to say the government. That's not only. 
for their pollution, not only did they the people get to seek a redress of grievances, karma actually got them too. Yeah, yeah. Then they still got. <laughs> I mean, taken people out. unfortunately people had to lose their homes, but they did still get. They got taken out. They got all taken the way. out all the way. Yeah, for their horrible wrongdoings. So it's just it makes me want to ask the question like. Uh, if you're suffering from some kind of cancer that was caused by arsenic or some kind of radioactive contaminants, things like that, I mean, are you going to be able to sue the government for any kind of money? You think, you think they're going to establish a fund and pay out people? They're the ones that allowed it. They're the ones that said it was safe. Yeah. Legal standards yeah. still right now are allowing these contaminants it's in the water. Just like, it's just like, you know, the FDA allows a certain amount of feces and a certain amount of, you know, animal parts to be in your food. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's there's uh, rules on that. Right. Then they they mark it safe and they say, hey, this is safe to eat. Yeah. And then if you do eat it, something could still happen and you have no recourse. So it just kind of one of the, the people in Flint have zero justice for kids dying. Yeah. And, kids. And their situation still isn't fixed. Right. And it's been five years since that happened. So. so who out there would like the government to take more control? Yeah, we should put them in control of every single thing. Well, they right. already kind of are. But Nothing's their fault, and you can't even, you, you don't have any action that you can take. So this like kind of makes me think about the differences in capitalism, free market capitalism, and just say government-ran institutions. Um, because the great thing in capitalism is that... Uh, if someone is not providing you value or someone else can do it better, like no one's forcing you to go to that entity for anything. So they're always trying to do a better job and to make sure that they're earning your business. Uh, in this case, PG&E did something terrible. And then, of course, they were sued. And now they have eventually gone bankrupt from other problems. Uh, whereas... When the government provides you a service and it potentially kills you or a hundred thousand other people or causes all kinds of other problems in your life, um, there's no one else that you can go to for those services. And with all the evil, terrible things that do happen under capitalism, because people are evil and greedy, there are all kinds of evil and greedy people, of course. Um, with all those terrible things, if it's a free market, you still have the choice to go to that person or not go to that person for that service. It reminds me of that conversation you were having about Facebook earlier, actually. Mm -hmm. um, this, that I mean, you, you do not have to use any products created under capitalism. Uh, you always have other options. And if you only have one option, it's probably not on something that you absolutely have to have, I will say, unless you're in a completely government-controlled and regulated market. Because even when you do come up with something like, oh, well, I'm out in middle of nowhere and I've only got one cell phone provider. Um, okay, well, you're in a very, very, very harshly controlled industry. Well, you don't need a cell phone to survive. And that's the other actually. thing. You, you don't have to have so. a cell phone. The, there are Actually, most people have survived without a cell phone yeah. uh, overall throughout yeah. history. 
Um, they uh, everyone still died when they got older. Eventually, yes, because yeah, everyone still dies today. Yes, um, the but cell phones that, have only been around for twenty years. Yeah, maybe thirty now. So the bulk of people throughout history have survived their entire lives without a cell phone. So saying that a human being has a right to a cell phone is completely ridiculous, or a right to cell phone signal, or a right to multiple companies to choose from for your cell phone provider. Right. Um, that can't be the truth. And when you talk about healthcare, maybe I can only go to this one doctor. Okay, well, that's the most heavily regulated industry in the entire world. So once again, you do not have any choices, and that is a situation that has been widely created by the government. So the good thing about capitalism is that when they do something wrong, there's some kind of legal redress after that. You can go back and you can get some kind of money. There can be a class action lawsuit or you can get them to provide service to you for free and repayment or things like that. And, and the government doesn't do that. The the government's out to protect itself. Yeah. It always is. And, you know, we say this a lot, but the government doesn't actually care about you. You know, I've uh, Snowden, Edward Snowden has a new book out called Permanent Record. It's fantastic. I'm almost done with it. You guys should get it. If you care anything about surveillance and spying, or even if you're interested in that topic, it's very fascinating uh, the things that he's able to reveal. In fact, he's being sued, by the way, by the government because <laughs> he didn't get permission to publish that book. <laughs> okay, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I, you know, I I was watching a documentary last night too called Citizen Four, which was the the documentary film made about Snowden's life. And there are several things the government does to protect itself. For instance, an easy one right now is student loan debt. Student loan debt is the only debt that you actually can't declare. Uh, it's the only debt that you can't declare bankruptcy on because you have to pay the government back. Whereas any other loan that you take from a private company or anything like that, you could uh, declare bankruptcy on. Now I'm not saying you should do that. You should pay your debts, but uh, the government's out to protect itself. Another one, uh, why I brought up Snowden was in the documentary, in the documentary, he had uh, a few international pro bono, pro bono lawyers while all of this was happening, uh, back in 2013. And he had uh, the one of the ACLU lawyers that uh, was, let's say, representing him was talking about the charges that Snowden had. And they charged him with three different crimes under the Espionage Act. Now, he went on to say that it didn't matter. The, the reason why Snowden hasn't come back to the U.S. is because he doesn't believe he'll re- receive a fair trial, which he's guaranteed to receive um, under the Fifth Amendment um, and the Sixth Amendment, I believe, too. Uh, and so, and also, you know, unreasonable punishment, which I believe is the eighth amendment. And so he doesn't believe he's going to receive a fair trial. And the reason for that is because the government wrote a law called the espionage act after world, uh, world war one. And what they did in that law was they created a statute to where it didn't matter if a government was violating the law. All that mattered in that statute was, is that you, uh, were giving secrets or working for a foreign nation. And so it doesn't matter. Snowden doesn't have a case for the fact that the American government was breaking the law and he was exposing that. It only matters that he broke the statute of giving out government secrets. And so the government in any way, shape and form is only out to protect itself. And it actually cares nothing about you. Even if it, the own government is breaking the law, which is the Constitution for mass surveillance, they will write an act like the Espionage Act and get it through Congress. 
that will protect itself whenever it is breaking its own laws. And that's what it does. Yeah. So that's the difference between a lot of people out there that like, oh, I hate evil, greedy corporations. Look, we don't like greed either. No one likes greed. Being against greed is easy. It's really easy. But what we're saying is in, in, the, in, in a broken world, let's say, because there is no utopia, if you had the choice between a private entity that you could actually um, seek, a private entity that you have the chance of seeking some redress of grievances versus a government that all it does is protect itself and you actually have to go, you have to sue it in its own courts, by the way, with people that work for it yeah. to try to win some kind of case. Now, I'm not saying you can't. There are people that have that have sued the government and won, and there's some good people in government. There are some, some good people that work for it. But law, by and large, the government is out to protect itself. And uh, the people inside of government are out to protect themselves. And they will do everything they possibly can uh, to make sure that you suffer and they don't because they want the power. Yeah. And they're the only form of entity that has a monopoly on uh, the use of force. Yeah. And that should scare you the most. Companies do not. You know, Bank of America doesn't have a SWAT team. The yeah. Department of Education does. Yeah. Um, Walmart doesn't have a SWAT team. The Department of Energy does. <laughs> the EPA does. Yeah. So so think about that for a second and put that in perspective. The government is the biggest, most evil corporation on the planet. Your federal government, your local government, your state governments, they're all incorporated, by the way. Just so you know. They're incorporated. They have a fis- uh, fiscal ending year. In fact, the government's year ends in October, I believe. Um, they're treated exactly like any other corporations treated. They're incorporated and they're the, the biggest, most evil corporation on the planet that has a monopoly on the use of force where somehow it is deemed acceptable that the state can use force. Nowhere else is that acceptable. And so when you ask yourself, which entity should I fear the most, which entity should we control the most? It's the government every single time and by, by simple, basic analysis it's the government one point in that i wanted to add is that i'm not saying and i I know you're not either that people who go into the government are inherently evil and people who go in the corporations are just inherently good that's not really what happens that there are human beings going into both of those they're just people the difference is that the incentives in the free market capitalist system say that those people, whether good or evil, that go into a corporation to provide services, that those people only ever make money if they provide you something that you find valuable. And that's the only way that they ever stay in power, they ever stay rich, they ever make a bunch of money in a free market system. They can only do it if they serve you enough that you want to give them your money. And the government, that incentive structure is not set up. The incentive structure is for them to gain power and to keep that power because like charlie said they have the ultimate use of force you do not have a choice to give the government money or to not give the government money they can take your money therefore there's no incentive to make sure that they provide you value in return uh, there's no incentive to make sure that what they do with that money is efficient or effective or productive um so that's why I'm always a bigger proponent for businesses and corporations than I would be for the government because there is at least, like Charlie said, a chance of 
redress against them. There is a chance to change. There is a chance to not give them what they're asking. Uh, you can file bankruptcy. You can go shop somewhere else. Uh, all of those things you can do, but you cannot go to a different government. You cannot decide to not give the government money this year. You do not have any choices like that. Um, so that's why we're over here promoting capitalism all the time, because whether the people are evil and greedy or not, the incentive structure set up through capitalism makes it so that they have to provide value to you in some kind of way, or they do not reach the higher points that they make. So, uh, like, how long do you think uh, Johnny Goodson's scamming business stays open? Not long, but about one cycle. About one cycle. Yeah. Do some people get hurt? Yes. But you know what? They get caught really fast. And it's not because some bureaucrat made a law that scamming is illegal. It's the fact that people don't like to be scammed. Yeah. And eventually, very rapidly, actually, they get figured out and the scams get figured out and people will stop doing things to get scammed. Yeah. And I mean, even like Bernie, <laughs> Bernie Madoff ended up going to prison and paying back a whole bunch of money for simply deciding that he wanted to model his life off of the Social Security Administration. So, uh, And then he ended up going to prison for a Ponzi scheme, uh, which is what Social Security is. I mean, there, there's those two differences right there. Literally, a private person was doing exactly what the government does all the time, legally, forcefully, and uh, that person ends up going to prison, and the government ends up uh, just getting more and more power afterwards. Yeah. So, um, we were going to do the comment thing, but I mean, we're already at an hour. So, I yeah. mean, we don't really have to. We can talk. We'll save this comment because it was a really good one and it deserves some, the proper amount of time. Do you so, know how you can hear about that comment episode tomorrow? Uh, you could subscribe to the podcast and you would automatically get that episode when we upload it tomorrow. I know you're waiting for it. That yeah. was a good cliffhanger. That was good. Yes. We'll, we'll leave you hanging for that. Okay. If you want to know what was said <laughs> in the comment section. Find out tomorrow on another episode of Good Morning Liberty. Before you do that, though, um, well, well, I mean, hit the subscribe button first. And then after you do that, go to goodmorningliberty.us slash shop where you can get the hottest, latest, and greatest merch available uh, for you to purchase. Uh, Shall Not Be Infringed is a great t-shirt. We've got it. Bernie Lies uh, coffee mugs. Yep. And uh, when you're sipping your delicious coffee, you can go to gmlconnect.com as well, and there's a, a place on there for shop. And uh, there's another button, by the way, just like your subscribe button. So you can go shop there. And you can also enter in to our handgun giveaway. We are giving away a Ruger um, LCP 380 380 by the way a great carry gun um and so if you do not have one or you would like an extra uh then this is a great giveaway that you can enter all legal by the way uh this will be shipped to your local ffl firearms dealer do the background check and the whole thing uh for your state regulations so whoever wins in your state all laws all applicable laws will be followed so make sure you enter that and follow us on Instagram. Go to at Good Morning Liberty on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Good AM Liberty. We'll get some followers on there. You know, we don't use Twitter much, but maybe if some of you guys go follow, we'll uh, we'll start tweeting some more. We'll we'll tweet some more good stuff. Look us up on Facebook, Good Morning Liberty. You can also find our shop on Facebook, by the way, uh, newly established today. So find us on Facebook. Go to GoodMorningLiberty.us if you guys want to read some great articles on politics and economics. And if you guys do all of those things, we are going to be right back here tomorrow bringing you some more Liberty. Until then, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.